some of the most profitable investments you will ever make are companies that don't seem like they are growing very fast, but they are growing very consistently. The lower the, the raw growth rate, the more I would want to see, see a company that if it disappeared tomorrow would be painful to the consumers that buy it. I'm Dylan Lewis, and that's The Motley Fool's Bill Mann. Today, we're kicking off our series on small cap investing. It's kind of the secret sauce of what we do here. Producer Ricky Mulvey caught up with Bill to talk about why small caps can help investors beat the market, the traits of great leaders in the space, and why it's even more important to watch these CEOs, and one investing trend that has some serious staying power. Today, we're kicking off a series on small cap investing. Joining us now is Bill Mann. You know, we don't normally do like the full titles at the full, <laughs> but you are the director of small cap research here, so it does seem appropriate to establish that. Uh, thanks for doing this. It's no problem. You're right. We don't do titles. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad we don't, but in this case, Hopefully, I've got something to say. Well, we got about a half hour, and if you have nothing to say, it's going to be <laughs> a very difficult podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, Ricky, so what do you got? If, if you're new to this, why, why do you like small cap investing? Why, why is this stuff more fun than the other, the other kind? I love the fact that, we, that you've described it as fun, and it really is. Uh, small cap investing is where you get to go treasure hunting. The reality of small cap investing is that when you bring up these companies at, uh, at cocktail parties, at softball games, wherever it is that you go and interact with other people, a lot of times, you are not going to get the same level of a response from people than if you say, oh yeah, I own I own Apple or I own Berkshire Hathaway. These tend to be companies that very few people have heard of. It is fun to me because it is an also an area where you can truly go on a treasure hunt and there are few fewer people and less money fishing in these waters. And one of the things we're going to talk about in a little bit is why individual investors actually have a structural advantage when it comes to smaller companies. Now, let's do that now. I mean, this is kind of this like, look, I, we got to do a daily show here at Motley Fool Money. So we got, we got to talk about a lot of things. But like, this is, <laughs> I mean, this is kind of the secret sauce, right? Find a small company if they have products customers like, if they got the right numbers on them, like, and you do, and you buy enough of those companies, you can probably, I shouldn't say probably, you can possibly beat the market over a long stretch of time. I'd say probably. Can I say probably? We're not going to get the podcast police aren't going to come down on us if we say probably. It is in order to invest in in, in small caps and to make it a large percent a component of your portfolio, you do have to have the right mindset. You are going to be wrong more often. I mean, that's just full stop. There is less information on them. You are not going to be able to find much in the way of institutional research on these companies. It doesn't make any sense for the big banks to 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 go out and and research them because it doesn't make any sense for them to go out and buy them. The money is not there for them. And so, you know, if you are if you are committed to owning a larger number of companies and if you are committed to recognizing the fact that you're going to be wrong a lot and just embrace it you're going to be wrong a lot even more often with small caps 
then there is a path there to making a tremendous uh, return over time. You know, small caps have historically constituted the lion's share of the returns for the Motley Fool for, from our recommendations, by which I say, you know, so for example, one of the companies that we have done best on uh, is Netflix. I know Netflix has had a hard stretch in 2022, but we invested in it as a small cap. We invested in a company called Marvel that became Disney, and it was a small cap. David Gardner recommended a little tiny company called Amazon in 1998 and never wavered. And it was a small cap when 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 he picked it. And you know, I understand, Ricky, that that's that's a little bit of gilding the lily, pointing out those three companies right away. But the great thing about small cap investing is that you can be wrong often, but if you're right once and you have that tenacity to hold on, it will make all the difference. Let's go to the flip side because it is. Uh, it- you know, we can play the hits, but you know, people. You know, you talk about how you have to be comfortable losing. Yeah, and that that's probably even more so the case with with this than than the large caps. But you know, can you think of a time that maybe you got burned with a small cap company with big promises? Oh gosh, there's uh, th- there are a bunch. The one that was probably most embarrassing for me, and I use the term embarrassing because I, you know I do have to tell a little bit of a story behind it. But in 2001, I was invited as an expert witness to testify before the U.S. Senate Banking Committee after the collapse of Enron as an expert, and I sat there before these senators and explained to them exactly why it was that some investors were able to see what was happening with Enron right like you know so i felt like a million bucks you know this was you know this was at the point in time the greatest honor that i had had as an investor and a, you know as as a follower of the markets that same day i returned to our offices we were down on uh, pitt street in alexandria virginia and i came in and a company that i had recommended not just invested in myself, I had recommended, and it was called ACLN, and it was a small cap company that was a car carrier company based in Belgium. And its stated business was that these car carriers would come from Korea or they would come from Japan and drop cars off in Europe and the US and they would go back empty. So ACLN said, hey, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to fill, fill these car carriers with used cars and we're going to take them to Africa which is a huge used car market. This all sounds awesome. And it also sounds like the kind of thing that one really needs to happen and two is actually happening. And all of those things were true except for the is actually happening part. It was a complete and utter fraud. So the same day that I was being held up as an expert in finding fraud, I fell into one absolutely directly and very very publicly. So you know what they say, who, you know, <laughs> if you want to be laid low, first be made proud, right? <laughs> so that happened awfully fast. It happens in this segment. And you've got to be able to recognize the fact that that sort of thing is maybe not that. I mean, that was that 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 was somewhat spectacular, but companies disappointing you in this segment is a reality. Yeah, that's one reason it's more challenging. You have to get ready to lose more often. You have thinner information. You're dealing with younger younger companies. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think any general reasons that this is, let's say, hard, harder than picking. Ooh, I like Microsoft and, and Ford. 
Well, I have a friend named Ian Castle who runs a site called the Microcap Club, and he put out a book called The Intelligent Fanatics Project. And it was, uh, I love the framing of the term intelligent fanatics. And it actually was coined by uh, by Charlie Munger, who is the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. And it talks about the types of business leaders that they want to see running companies. And one of the most important things and why small cap investing offers so much promise and so much challenge is that unlike you know the american expresses of the world or the mastercards or the apples of the world small caps are almost by definition driven by great management the, ma- the the quality of the management means so much in this segment it is a much more important uh, it is a much more important factor in smaller companies than it is in larger companies. Larger companies, I mean, they've got staffs of hundreds, if not thousands, doing you know and doing all of the things. And you know, in some ways, in some ways, the people at the top of the business don't have any idea what's going on in large parts of the business. If that's happening at most small cap companies, the company is probably on its way into the rocks. Let's let's focus on leadership in a sec. I feel like I'm doing an ad break now, but I do think we got to knock out some of the allocation stuff. Okay, fair enough. Let's let's take our spinach. Let's let's do let's do the quick allocation. I you know we we always say at Motley the Motley Fool you got to own 25 to 30 stocks. Do you think that number increases if you're playing the small cap game? Well, it kind of de- depends on how you do it, and 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 specifically, I would say this: if you are going to if you are going to buy small cap companies, you need to be fairly sure that your companies are internally diverse. So it's easy enough to say twenty five to thirty, but if you own twenty five. Uh, SaaS companies and then a biotech company for diversity. You're not actually diverse, and I don't care what the number of companies that 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 you own. So yes, I would absolutely positively encourage to own on the high side of you know of of smaller cap companies uh, in terms of the number. But at the same time, you do also have to make sure. I always think about. I always think about my portfolios. You have a risk on a company basis, but you also have a risk on a thematic basis. So if you own all Chinese companies, that you are exposed one hundred percent to China, right? And it doesn't matter that uh, you own. Two companies or fifty, you still are absolutely positively exposed to something exogenous to any of the individual companies. So, yes, I would suggest that you own more smaller cap companies. I would suggest that you give yourself the grace to know that, in any case, owning more companies means that you will be able to study them less. We we all have the same number of hours in the day. So therefore, you are likely to be wrong more often. And in and in smaller cap companies, you are also likely to have, you know, even if you have the best source of knowledge that there is, sometimes these companies are going to are going to disappoint you. It's not. It's not the number of slices on the pie chart. Not just that. It's it's the colors on the pie chart. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Like like. Hey, I've got seventeen shades of green. Is this a rainbow? No, it's not a rainbow. <laughs> I also I've I've heard this from uh, Jason Moser. I've heard it from John Ritanti. The idea is when you're when you're playing the speculative game, make sure you essentially buy for each speculative company, you buy like one that's not going to keep you up at night. <laughs> 
Right, exactly. And we've been talking about small caps as if they are some sort of like monolithic beast. So maybe put a little bit of definition around what a small cap is. And that would and be the helpful. good news. What's that? <laughs> I said that would have been helpful if I did yeah, that at exactly. the beginning of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> So what are we talking about here? Yeah. We are talking about essentially at this point in time companies that are that that are 8 billion dollars and below. So 8 billion dollars, it turns out if you are the only owner of a company worth 8 billion dollars, you have 8 billion dollars, which is a lot of money, but from a company perspective, it does not an 8 billion dollar company barely moves the needle for the S&P 500 for example, for for the index that it's in. So Anything sub $8 billion, I would consider to be a smaller cap company. Now, you can definitionally go smaller than that and say between $300 million and $2 billion as a small cap company, uh, which, is, which, is, which is absolutely fine. I wouldn't get too wrapped up around the definitions, but I, I, I really, to me, the ceiling is about $8 billion. Okay. And and the the way I come up with that number Ricky is that that is the market cap of the 490th size company in the S&P 500. And and we picked 490 for for which reason? Because there's always companies that are within the S&P 500 that are so deeply impacted that they're going to be pulled out. Gotcha. Right. There are companies at all times that are in the S&P 500 that are on their way out because they are something deep deeply deeply wrong. So again, don't get too spun up on the you know on th- that that's not a scientific number. It just seems like a good rough cut. When you're talking about small cap companies, you have to recognize a couple of things. One is there are there are small cap banks. There are 30 tiny banks in the state of Indiana that are publicly traded companies. There are also revenue less biotech companies that are small cap companies. There are SaaS companies that are biotech companies. There are manufacturing companies that are small cap companies. So, it is a segment that is defined by being smaller, but you need to be careful about taking too much in the way of rules like small cap means this, because some of these companies are small caps, have been public, have been small caps for 50 years, and to the extent that they will survive, will always be small caps. There are other companies like you know when we were talking earlier about uh, about Amazon. I mean, at a, at a trillion plus in market cap, it's obviously no longer a small cap. A lot of small cap companies are on their way to being something else. Hopefully, that something else is a much bigger company. So. That's that's an extra minute before I get to answering the question that you asked, which was uh, Jason Moser's point uh, and uh, John Rotanti's point about buying something that's speculative and matching it against something that is much more dependable. You know, so like for example, a biotech company in a bank. I think in some ways you have to know yourself. Right. Like you need to make sure that to the best of your ability, that you are buying risks that are compensated for. Right. You don't want uncompensated risk in any single company. That doesn't mean that things aren't going to go wrong. But if you are someone who is not comfortable with your portfolio going down 30 or 40 percent, you absolutely need to make sure that you are much more loaded with companies that aren't going to do that. 
Right, which doesn't mean that you know because if you look at, I know twenty twenty two has been has been painful for a lot of people, but in, even in years like twenty twenty, small cap companies, you just look at their fifty two week low and their fifty two week high, and they're usually seventy or eighty percent apart from each other. These companies move a lot, and to the extent that you're comfortable with that, you can take a little bit more risk with the companies that you're that that, that you are putting in your portfolio. To the extent that you're not. You should be a little bit more conservative. Um, I want to go back on a point you made about how yes, this is a market cap. This is a definition of market cap, and yeah. there is a, an impossibly large number of sectors within that. Right. When we had a conversation earlier, you said essentially a good beginning point if you're looking at small caps is what problem does this company solve? Do they have the resources to do so? And then also, how's their leadership? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it, and just 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 to put a little bit of uh, to put a little bit of meat around this concept in the U.S. stock market, small caps, and I mean companies that are smaller than mid and large caps make up ninety percent of the number of companies in the market, and so that goes all the way down to micro caps, but it only makes up about seven percent of the total market cap of the U.S. stock market. Of the three of the major exchanges, so you are talking about a large number of 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 companies, but a smaller component of the market. Let's get even smaller. How about some leadership as small cap companies? You know, among these small caps, who are some who are some leaders that you particularly admire right now? So uh, we talk a lot at the Motley Fool about about Arista Networks, which is a company that is incredibly important to the to the development of cloud computing. They are a network company, and their CEO is a woman named Jayshree Ulal, who, when she and Andy Bechtelstein uh, founded Arista, they took no money. They didn't. By they took no money. They obviously got paid as as human beings, but they didn't go out and do huge amounts of capital raises once they became a publicly a public company. They have grown in a very very intelligent way. They've never reached out, and and it's interesting because you know you know in a lot of times you look at these companies that are based in Silicon Valley, and it really seems like they're being you know being run like a fraternity house. She has made. Sure Sure that the culture at Arista is incredibly accommodative, you know, to the extent that she's just said that uh, you know what what she wants from her from herself and her employees is that she just knows that human beings all crave appreciation and they want to be recognized for having done a good job. I've heard that in a few interviews, which is um, you know I had a conversation with Bill George on last week's show. And you know he had this theme of look look for the we leaders, and yeah. I hear that in Jay Shree's interviews where she's very quick to point out like the members of her team and who's doing what well, and it's 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 kind of taking the spotlight away from her, and that's that's something you like to see. She has actually interacted quite a bit with the Molly Fool. She's been wonderfully giving of her time, but she would act, she actually really really doesn't like for herself to be in 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 the spotlight. And you know it's funny you can pick this up, and this just takes. Takes a few minutes to do with any company that you're you're interested in, and I mean especially with small caps. One thing that you can do, and it doesn't take more than five minutes, is read the letter from the CEO or the chairman in the last annual report, and you will see that in spades. 
Now, first of all, one thing you have to make sure of is you you know how you can kind of tell when something's been written by a committee or it's been written by a professional writer. Yeah. Like 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 look, they're good a lot writers. Of mission statements. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you you can still you can kind of tell. But one of the real tip-offs for me is that exact thing. You're looking for a we CEO, and you are also looking for someone who, in the course of the single most read document that they will produce, that they both give credit for things that have gone well, but then they also take blame for and don't make excuses for things that have gone poorly. Ricky, every company in some ways is dysfunctional, but some companies dysfunction in you know in in a positive direction. Every single company faces challenges. Every company has things happen both internal and external that impact their operations, impact their trajectory. How do they respond to them and how do they communicate them? It's so, so, so important. You look at a lot of small cap companies, and I, I would also say that in our in our interactions, you seem to have a pretty good BS radar. Let's talk about spot, spotting some of the BS among leadership. I mean, what when does your radar spike when you're reading those letters, you're listening to a quarterly call, and, and just may, maybe a yellow flag goes up? Like, so for example, and I'm not saying, oh gosh, we're getting, we're getting, we're, we're about to get in trouble. Are you ready? Let's go. Get, get your hand on the button. I am not saying that a lot of companies have not been impacted by supply chain issues, and in particular, by uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But if you are a small cap bank you know, in, in Indiana, and you make the excuse that the invasion of Ukraine has somehow impacted your operations. Like it is you you should always have your detector you you should always have your detector up and understand that even the great communicators, even the ones, you know, they are they're trying to put their best foot forward. But if the best foot is always, hey, we've got complete control, that to me is a red flag. And again, I'm going to give just a tiny bit more homework because one of the ways that you can find this, and there's a CEO of a company that's really struggled this year, but I I think the world of him, Glenn Kalman at Redfin, if you go back and you read three years of his letters to shareholders, just three years. So, we've gone now from five minutes of homework to 15 minutes of homework, you will see that he is talking about the same exact goals, right? Like he's not saying on this year we've done great because of the number of houses we've sold, and the next year we've done great because of the, you know, because of the revenues, and the next year we've done great because our price to phone number is, you know, is really low. Like he's he's absolutely consistent. He's responsive to things that are happening. But he's not changing what he wants you to look at to to you know to show hey this is a super successful company. So companies just don't succeed all the time, and it's and it's fine. It's it's really really okay. And the share and the uh, CEOs at small cap companies who embrace that are the kinds of ones that you just you can trust them more. If you're looking to dig into some small cap companies, 
four metrics to watch as you're looking through to see if the company is healthy, if it's sustainably profitable. Number one is company sales. Is that one that you have a cutoff for? I mean, it ranges based on are you looking at a consumer goods company or a biotech company, but is there a general level in which you're just like, you know what, this is a biotech company with no sales, falls outside of my circle of competence. No, thank you. You hit on the exact right the, the, the exact right term. So for me, you don't want to listen to me about biotech companies. You just don't. So for me, I own one biotech company in in in, in my portfolio, and it's because my you know it's my daughter does this and she was the one who recommended it to me, but it's not an area where I'm going to be reaching out over my skis. So some of the most profitable investments you will ever make are companies that don't seem like they are growing very fast, but they are growing very consistently. The lower the the raw growth rate, the more I would want to see a company that if it disappeared tomorrow would be painful to the consumers that buy it. So, like for example, in 2001, I actually had the opportunity to have a conversation with uh, with Warren Buffett and I pitched a company called Church and Dwight to him. And Church and Dwight is Arm and Hammer baking soda. It does a number of other things. It's bought other companies along the way, but it was it didn't grow very fast, but it had an unbelievable franchise. Right. If you go to the market and Arm and Hammer baking soda is seventy nine cents, and off brand baking soda is fifty nine cents, you're paying that twenty cents. Full stop. I mean, that's how it goes with no real expectation that it's going to perform better, but you just you just you just do so. Company sales to me, I do like to own profitable companies. I do like to own companies that 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 are currently. Showing growing sales, but I don't really need to see that big of a number if I believe that the company's franchise and its moat is big enough. So it's a question beyond just the the sales and net profit margin. I think a lot of investors kind of get wrapped up a little too much of saying, I want a company that's growing at 25%. And then so suddenly, if a company is growing 23%, like, is that good enough? You know, so. I made the mistake of selling Starbucks in 1999, and it's grown 23% a year since then. Would that have been okay? I think that would have been just fine. And then, uh, you know, minimum share price, daily dollar volume. Are those the kind of? Th- are you checking boxes on those, or is that a is that a skim over? So no, I think that that's a really interesting point, and it doesn't exist so much anymore. But generally speaking, the target price range for a U.S. company used to be about ten dollars to about a hundred dollars. And when companies got above a hundred dollars, they would split, and that all had to do with the mechanics of of trading. And I don't really know that we need to get into that, but it is still the case. It's still the case that companies that are trading below ten dollars a share have something that has gone wrong or has something that the market has perceived as having gone wrong. So when you get into the lower and you know, and Ricky, I know there are a lot of people who say who say, well, if it, you know, if the if the shares are priced lower, I can get more of them. But it's not really it's not really the way it works. For me, if a company is trading 
below ten dollars a share, and uh, and you said seven, and I actually think that that's that's actually a great number that I'm now going to embrace wholeheartedly as being scientific. You need to understand that something has probably gone wrong or is going wrong at the company, and you should sort out what it is. Doesn't mean you should stay away from the company, but knowing what the risks are is super important. And ignoring risks doesn't mean that the risks go away. You've been listening for a while. We've been we've been talking a lot about how to do this. Let's get to some meat and potatoes. What's what's a trend in small cap investing you're excited about right now? Something something you're watching out for is is the director of small cap research. One of the great things is that we are starting to see every once in a while there's kind of a turnover in brands. And brands kind of happen they happen in waves. I mean it is it is not for nothing that Chipotle and Buffalo Wild Wings and another a number of other restaurant styles sort of exploded onto the scene in the mid 2000s. And I think that we're we're seeing that now as well in other areas. So like for example, one of the big trends that happened during COVID, but it was already happening, was that people in this country were going out and buying RVs and they're you know they're they're down with camping, not getting on planes as much as they have in the past. So I stopped and thought about this and said, well, who are the best operators in this business? And perhaps the best operator is Marcus Lomanis and Camping World Holdings, which owns dozens of gigantic sales sites for, for RVs all around the country. So I think that we're beginning to see a changeover. You know, in in habits, and maybe some of it's been driven by, some of it's been driven by the pandemic. I think some of it's probably been just changed by as we're moving into you know it, it, the the dominance of the millennials and the the fade out of us Gen Xers. You know, I think that uh, you know that that is a huge area of exploration. The new brands that are coming along. Bill, man, thank you for your time. Hey, maybe we'll see you for part two. If I did okay, I hope you have me back. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.